0: Good morning, and welcome to 5 at 8. It's Thursday, August 24th, 2023, and with me here is Linda Carlisle. I'm Mark Overman, and here are the day's top stories. In this episode, we'll talk about India successfully landing a probe on the moon, Israel's plan to expand natural gas exports to Egypt, NVIDIA's booming revenue forecast, the plane crash involving Russian mercenary chief Yevgeny Prigozhin, and Japan's decision to release treated radioactive wastewater from the Fukushima nuclear plant. Story number one. India has become the fourth country to successfully land a probe on the moon, following the United States, Russia, and China, as reported by Al Jazeera. The Indian space research organization's Chandrayaan-3 made a historic landing near the moon's south pole, marking a significant step for lunar exploration and India's status as a space power. The achievement has garnered praise from leaders and officials around the world, including Indian Prime Minister Narendra Modi, Russian President Vladimir Putin, and the European Space Agency. The U.S. Department of State's Bureau of Oceans and International Environmental and Scientific Affairs, as stated by Al Jazeera, commended the success, stating that it will inspire future generations. It's remarkable, isn't it? India landing a spacecraft near the moon's south pole. Just think about it. We're now living in a world where the list of moon-faring nations is no longer limited to just the U.S., Russia, and China. India has joined the club, and that's an incredible achievement.
1: Definitely, Mark. The Chandrayaan-3 mission is not just a scientific achievement, it's a testament to the progress India has made in technology and space exploration. It's a huge leap forward for the nation, and an inspiration for other countries that are nurturing their own space ambitions.
0: Yes, Linda. The strides being made by countries like India in the space sector are transforming the dynamics of international competition in space programs. The narrative of the space race isn't just about the US and Russia anymore. I reckon this could lead to some interesting developments in terms of international space laws and diplomatic relations.
1: That's a thought provoking point, Mark. As more nations successfully venture into space, the need for comprehensive and mutually agreed upon space laws becomes more critical. The lunar surface isn't owned by any one country. So we need a framework that not only encourages scientific exploration, but also ensures that it's done responsibly, ensuring the long-term sustainability of outer space.
0: And you know, there's also the economic angle to this. As space exploration expands, so do the possibilities for economic growth. Whether it's mining for resources on asteroids or the moon, or the potential for space tourism, the financial implications are just as vast as space itself.
1: The economics of space exploration are indeed fascinating. However, it's also essential to consider the potential risks and challenges. The pursuit of resources could lead to disputes, and the increase in space traffic could intensify the problem of space debris. It's a complex issue, requiring a delicate balance between exploration, exploitation, and preservation.
0: Story number two. Israel plans to expand its natural gas exports to Egypt from its Tamar field, as reported by Al Jazeera. The move aims to increase revenue for Israel and strengthen diplomatic ties between the two countries. Egypt has been facing a decline in gas production and increasing demand for gas due to power shortages caused by heat waves. Israel's government has set limits on gas exports to ensure sufficient supply for the local market, but there have been concerns about potential gas shortages and environmental damage. Egypt has been seeking a regional supply role, selling its own gas and re-exporting Israeli gas as liquefied natural gas. Would you believe it, Linda? Israel is expanding its natural gas exports to Egypt. Quite a move considering the ongoing debates about whether those resources should be reserved for domestic use.
1: Yes, Mark. It's indeed a significant decision. The government must have weighed the increasing domestic demand against the potential benefits that this export deal can bring. It's not just about the immediate economic gain, but also about strengthening diplomatic ties.
0: Yeah, and it seems Energy Minister Katz has already given his seal of approval, but, uh, he did so after confirming that supplies for Israel's domestic use were guaranteed. Couldn't this potentially put the country's energy security at risk?
1: Well, it's all about finding the right balance. While it's crucial to ensure energy security by meeting domestic needs, exporting natural gas can also provide significant benefits. Remember, it's not just about revenue, but also about geopolitical advantages. Egypt has been aiming to become a regional supply hub, re-exporting Israeli gas to the Middle East, Africa, and Europe. This could lead to a stronger alliance between the countries.
0: Yeah, I see what you're saying. But there's also been, you know, concerns raised by public advocacy groups in Israel. They're worried about potential gas shortages as domestic demand rises, not to mention the environmental implications of increased offshore activity.
1: Absolutely. Those are valid concerns. The environmental impact of such activities can't be ignored, and neither can the potential for domestic shortages. These are the kind of complex issues that countries around the world grapple with when deciding how to allocate their natural resources. It's a delicate balancing act.
0: Delicate indeed. And, uh, going off that, I guess we'll have to wait and see how this decision pans out for Israel, Egypt, and the region as a whole.
1: Yes, it will be interesting to observe. These decisions can have far-reaching effects— And they're not to be taken lightly it's a prime example of the intricate interplay of domestic needs international relations and environmental considerations in managing natural resources
0: story number three chip designer nvidia has exceeded expectations with its third quarter revenue forecast driven by the booming demand for its chips that power artificial intelligence ai applications According to Al Jazeera, the company's shares rose by 8% after the announcement, reaching an all-time high. NVIDIA's dominance in generative AI technologies, which rely heavily on its chips, shows no signs of slowing down. The company plans to buy back $25 billion of its shares, adding to its already tripled stock value this year. Demand for NVIDIA's AI chips is outstripping supply by at least 50% a trend that is expected to continue for several quarters, as reported by Al Jazeera. Tell you what, Linda, it's absolutely mind-blowing to witness the meteoric rise of NVIDIA in the AI chip market. I mean, their third-quarter revenue forecast just smashed Wall Street's expectations, didn't it? Not only that, their share buyback scheme seems to be paying off with shares hitting an all-time high. It's a testament to the power of innovation and entrepreneurship, if you ask me.
1: It's fascinating to see how NVIDIA's success is not just confined to their own progress, but it's also lifting the shares of other big tech stocks. It's quite a ripple effect, showing how interconnected the world of technology and business really is. But what I find particularly intriguing is how the demand for NVIDIA's chips is coming from a wide range of sources, from startups to tech giants like Microsoft. It's quite the testament to their strategic positioning in the market.
0: No doubt about that, Linda. And you know, what's really interesting here is how NVIDIA is essentially the key player powering the generative AI tech boom. Their chips are the backbone of AI applications that can read and write in human-like ways. It's like we're living in a science fiction movie, isn't it? It's almost
1: surreal. And yet, with this exponential growth comes significant challenges. I think it's crucial to note how NVIDIA is maneuvering through supply chain issues. They have increased their inventory commitments by 53%, primarily due to long-term supply needs for their data center chips. It's an important reminder that even the most innovative companies are not immune to these logistical hurdles.
0: And let's not forget the role of international politics in this. The surge in demand from China and their rush to stockpile chips before possible U.S. export curbs kick in, well, that's a whole other ballgame. It's a complex landscape, but... As I always say, adversity is just opportunity in disguise.
1: A fitting sentiment, Mark. The landscape is indeed complex and ever-evolving. The future will certainly be interesting to watch, especially as AI continues to redefine traditional industries and the way we live and work. This is only the beginning of the AI revolution.
0: Story number four. A private plane traveling between Moscow and St. Petersburg has crashed, killing all 10 people on board, including Russian mercenary chief Yevgeny Prigozhin, as reported by Al Jazeera. Prigozhin, who was listed as a passenger, is the chief of the Wagner Group and has been seen as a challenge to Russian President Vladimir Putin's authority. The cause of the crash is still unknown, and it is yet to be confirmed if Prigozhin was actually on the flight. The news has garnered reactions from various countries, with U.S. President Joe Biden stating that he was not surprised by the potential death and Ukraine's presidential aide suggesting it was a signal from Putin to disloyal elites. Estonia's prime minister expressed concerns about Putin eliminating opponents, while Poland's foreign minister questioned the natural deaths of those who threaten Putin's power. There's not much that surprises me these days, Linda, but this news about Yevgeny Prigozhin is something else. If he was indeed on that plane, it sends a chilling message, especially considering his role in challenging Putin's authority.
1: Yes, Mark, I agree. It's a stark reminder of how dangerous it can be to challenge those in power, particularly in regimes that don't shy away from, let's say, extreme measures. It's reminiscent of other incidents, like the poisoning of Alexander Litvinenko in the UK or the murder of journalist Jamal Khashoggi.
0: And it's not just about the individuals who lose their lives, but the broader implications for democracy and human rights. When the powerful can essentially eliminate threats without any legal process, It undermines the very foundations of justice and rule of law. And this isn't just a Russian issue. It happens globally.
1: That's a key point, Mark. These incidents are symptomatic of deeper systemic issues. The silencing of dissent and the consolidation of power often go hand in hand. It's a troubling pattern that we see in many authoritarian regimes.
0: Right. And this not only affects the citizens of these countries, but also shapes international relations. The reaction of other nations to these incidents is telling. It's a delicate balance between condemning human rights violations, maintaining diplomatic relations, and safeguarding national interests.
1: And it's not just about the immediate reactions, but the long-term implications. How do these incidents influence policies, alliances, and global governance structures? And more importantly, how can the international community effectively respond to these situations to promote justice and accountability?
0: Story number five. Japan will begin releasing treated radioactive wastewater from the Fukushima nuclear plant, as reported by CNN International. The water, contaminated by the 2011 earthquake and tsunami, will be discharged in a highly diluted form. The plan has faced opposition from some countries, including China and Pacific Islands, who argue it could pose a threat to human health and the marine environment. The U.S. and Taiwan have supported Japan's decision, while China has called it selfish and irresponsible. Some governments have banned food imports from parts of Japan, and Hong Kong will ban certain food products following the release. Will you look at that, Linda? Japan has started releasing treated radioactive wastewater from the Fukushima nuclear plant. It's a fascinating yet controversial move. I mean, on one hand, you have the technical aspect of it all, TEPCO, The electricity firm has reassured that they've been treating this water for years to filter out all removable harmful elements and will heavily dilute it before releasing. And they're not going solo either, with the IEEA monitoring the situation.
1: That's true, Mark. But, as we know, this isn't just about technicalities, it's about public perception and trust. And clearly, there is a significant amount of distrust from regional countries and consumers. Many are hoarding salt and seafood fearing contamination. Even though Japan and the IEA assure that safety standards are met, it's hard for people to shake off those anxieties.
0: It's a bit of a damned-if-you-do, damned-if-you-don't situation. You got countries like the U.S. and Taiwan saying it should have a minimal impact, and then you have China and the Pacific Islands, who are staunchly against it, citing potential threats to human health and the marine environment. And I can't help but think about the long shadow of past nuclear incidents like Chernobyl and Three Mile Island.
1: Those incidents have left a lasting impact on how people perceive nuclear energy. And while nuclear power can be a part of the solution in fighting climate change, managing the waste it produces is a significant challenge. It's not just about the immediate technical and environmental aspects, but also the long-term implications for public health and international relations.
0: It really puts into perspective the complexities of modern nuclear power generation. And this situation also stresses the importance of scientific trust within communities and across international borders. It's a tough nut to crack. But hopefully, with transparency and consistent monitoring, they might be able to alleviate some concerns. That's it for this morning. Have a great day and see you all tomorrow.
1: Five at Eight is researched, written, and performed by artificial intelligence. For more information, visit botcaster.ai.